Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the brother of Matt Farrell, who just coincidentally happens to be here. Oh, my. Hi, Sean. Hey, everybody. Hey. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about the most recent episode, which was the truth about wind turbines. How bad are they? This was from August 18th, 2020. And I'll be honest, I didn't know that anybody was asking, how bad are wind turbines? <laughs> But it's funny, people are. <laughs> I know that there are certain public figures who have argued against wind turbines being near his golf courses in Scotland. And being killing fields for birds and, yes. and devaluing property values. And uh, The first thing I want to touch on is the bird issue. Right off the bat, there were a number of commenters who talked about environmental impact and, and the bird question. One of them was from Roger Starkey, who wrote, quote, We estimate that from 500 million to possibly over 1 billion birds are killed annually in the United States due to anthropogenic sources, including collisions with human-made structures such as vehicles, buildings, and windows, power lines, communication towers, and wind turbines, electrocutions, oil spills, and other constructions. That's from the USDA Forestry Service. Wind turbines are a drop in the ocean. Even coal and nuclear power station cause many more bird deaths. There were a number of comments in this vein. Along those lines, and, yeah. And it reminded me of something that I quickly looked up, which was from... 2011, there was an article in the New York Times which included this quote, the American Bird Conservancy estimates that up to 500 million birds are killed each year by cats, about half by pets and half by feral felines. Quote, I hope we can now stop minimizing and trivializing the impacts that outdoor cats have on the environment and start addressing the serious problem of cat predation. Quote, said Darren Schroeder, the group's vice president for cons conservation advocacy. Why yeah. do you think it is that wind turbines are being blamed for being a blender in the environment that birds just can't help but fly into when there are so many things that do have a bigger impact. Is yeah. it just the newness of, of wind turbines and people looking at them with a fresh eye and saying, huh, that's new. We've never had that here before. I wonder what no. it does. Or is it a concerted effort to undermine an industry? Uh, you hit the second point. I think is more true. I, I want to thank Roger Starkey for that comment too, because he 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 drops a lot of comments on a lot of my videos that are very insightful. Um, the <laughs> this is whenever I do these truth about style videos and I'm trying to debunk things, I should have spent more time on the bird angle on this one. But a lot of times when you, especially with people who are climate deniers that say climate change is a hoax, that don't like EVs for fill-in-the-bank reason. I don't like renewable energy for fill-in-the-blank reason. They tend to cherry-pick certain things that fit their narrative and like incentive programs are the only reason they're cheaper than natural gas or they kill more birds than other forms or look at all the birds they're killing. They're, they're cherry-picking things that on their face look bad because there's that element of truth to it. But when you look at the bigger picture, like Roger Starkey and others were pointing out, it is a drop in the ocean. And there are a lot more birds dying from flying into the sides of skyscrapers than there are yeah. in wind turbines. But the thing I would point out is there's a couple of nuances to even that, which are what are the kinds of birds that are flying into turbines? And there's a lot of problems with falcons and you know hawks and those kind of things and owls and bats that may be 
a little more on the, I don't want to say they're endangered species, but things that are a little more, it's not like a sparrow flying into the side of a glass window. It's a bird that is a little more rare flying into a turbine. So it's, there's nuances here, but even with that knowledge, it's still a drop in the bucket, but at the same time, it's a problem. We should see if we can find solutions to it. And there were other comments that I saw coming in that were, Somebody sent me a link to a research paper that found that just painting one blade on a wind turbine black, just that, they saw Mm -hmm. a dramatic decrease in the number of birds flying into the turbine Mm. because it made it easier for them to see. Right. So there you go. And then there's another research I found, which was using sonic frequency waves being generated from some kind of a speaker system nearby that just naturally repel bats and other birds. So it's like you could do things like that in painting blades to help reduce the number of animals that might fly into the blades. There are solutions to help mitigate the problem, which is already kind of overblown because people who don't like this kind of technology are cherry picking their arguments. Right. It's kind of the point I made at the end of the video, which was no matter what we do, there's going to be an impact on the environment. So saying that we shouldn't be doing this because, oh, look, there are birds dying. It's like, well, there are birds dying by nuclear power plants and there are new birds dying near coal plants. Nobody's making the arguments that that's why you should take down coal. It's like, well, what system is better than the last system? And it's like, okay, wind is better demonstrably than these other systems. So why would we not want to go down this path? Yeah. There was another comment from Steve Taylor who wrote, and this is just a portion of his, of his longer comment. His starting point was, it drives him crazy when people complain about renewable energy as if it needs to be born completely, wholly out of renewable <laughs> energy. Yes. It can't have a starting point that involves anything that is considered environmentally harmful. You can't yes. get to a good place starting in a bad place. And he goes on to say, but nobody criticizes or scrutinizes oil and gas or other aspects of life in this way. I worked in the construction of oil and gas for many years. And my last project, the Gorgon LPG project in Australia, took seven years to construct. Billions of tons of materials, hundreds of millions of gallons of oil burned, hundreds of oil wells drilled on the seabed, thousands of miles of undersea pipelines and cables, thousands of miles of overland pipelines and cables, Hundreds of millions of tons of concrete for many square miles of refineries (laughs) and LPG freezing plants. Many super tankers constructed to transport the LPG gas to Japan. Massive harbors constructed for super tankers loading and offloading. Many massive gas power stations constructed to burn the gas. Tens of thousands of miles of cables to transport electricity to people from the power stations. 40,000 people working on the construction at its peak destroying massive amounts of habitat and costing 65 billion Australian dollars plus the power stations and finally producing on average 2.3 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day to be burnt and pollute. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the idea that we we should be ignoring these renewable technologies that are, if you just look at it from across the board, they are demonstrably better, providing the same power but far better, it's far cleaner, less environmental impact. But to argue, well, they're not good enough because they're not, they're still having an impact. Just me existing on the face of the planet is having an impact on the environment. Just building my house had an impact. You know, living in my house is having an impact. It's like, there's no way to not have an impact on the environment. The whole goal is to reduce as much as we can. Nothing's going to be perfect, Mm. but we're trying to find better and better paths. 
and the idea that we shouldn't be doing wind because it has some perceived imperfections is to me just it's it's a bizarre argument to make it's taking things completely out of context there was another comment from russell fine arts who in the same vein talked about he says having worked in the commercial wind farm industry for many years empowering my own house with a small wind turbine I can speak the truth that bird kills by wind turbines is far, far lower than estimates and opinions say they are. A one-year study conducted in Kansas at a large wind farm of 200 of 200 wind turbines found only two dead birds over a year. However, the fossil fuel industry, buildings, cars, trucks, house, cats, account for hundreds of millions of bird kills every year, and nobody cares. I fully support much larger wind t- turbines and wish they'd paint them tan or green to match the landscape, but think we'll, wind will top out at about 25% of entire energy production as solar can be put on virtually every roof, parking lot, and structure and will produce the majority of energy in our future. It's interesting to see these comments from people actually in these industries, both the yep. oil industry, you know, somebody saying like, we're doing terrible things and nobody's paying attention. So on the flip side of that conversation, that's all about the like getting it started, getting people to accept these things and being fearful of the impact. And as you point out, everything has an impact. So once we get past that hurdle, then you get into the flip side, which is, oh, this is no longer necessary or it's no longer doing what it needed and we need to recycle or do something with it. One of the things that you didn't really bring into your video that I can recall was what are the causes of needing to replace or dismantle the wind turbines. Unlike solar panels, which are not moving, there's no mechanical parts, it just sits there. Um, these are gigantic mechanical objects. So there's just wear and tear. There's the motors wear down, gears may need to be you know, oiled or ch- changed. Blades become worn because the one thing when you look at these blades and you see them spinning in videos, it's kind of funny to think they look like they're moving so slow. The tips of those blades, I think, are going like 130 miles an hour. Suddenly, I'm very interested in them attaching seats. <laughs> like the worst Walt Disney ride ever. <laughs> to the ends of those. <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty exciting. <laughs> if I had hair, I'd be flapping in the breeze. Yeah, no, they, they are moving really fast. And then when you're talking about wind turbines that are in the ocean, they're getting pelted with uh, salt water and, you know, fine debris and sand and dust that are basically just like ab- causing abrasions across the blades. These blades are incredibly strong, but they they wear down. And the more rough they get, the more drag it causes and it affects the effectiveness of the turbine. So there's the blades themselves only have a certain lifespan before you have to change them out. There are studies that have shown that there are some wind turbines, and some people even commented this on this, is that are lasting much longer than they were expected. Like, it has a 20-year lifespan, but these are 35 years old and they're still going. Um, but then there are others that are not lasting quite that long because they're in very harsh environments, and so they're wearing down faster than expected. So it's it's on both sides that it's happening. But that, right. that's why that's why there's like an end-of-life that for these things around 20 years. The other thing is that you need to build them in areas that have good wind um, production. Mm-hmm. And like through this, like think about the jet stream. It's like through the center of the United States, there's a swath that is just like prime real estate for uh, wind. And then of course the coastlines, like here in Massachusetts, they're, they're trying to build 
uh, giant wind farms off the coast around the Cape and stuff like that. And when it's done, the, those farms are going to generate enough energy to power <laughs> half the state. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> right. it's going to be providing a massive amount of energy for New England. In your video, you talk about some of the uses, potential uses of former turbine parts. And mm -hmm. it includes all the usual stuff that you've talked about in other effectively recycling projects, which is, yeah, they can take this and they can put it into building materials that can be used yep. to manufacture types of concrete or uh, things that can be used in building bridges and walls and, and so on and so forth. Is there a, is there a finite amount of stuff that we can possibly recycle? Do we reach a point where it's just like, well, we've got more <laughs> recycling stuff than we need stuff. Uh huh. <laughs> just like, are we, are we going to reach the point where we're building things just because we need to use the stuff? <laughs> there's going to be, I honestly think there's going to be a point where, where there's certain industries and across the board, but I think there's a certain point where it's like a closed loop system. It's like, mm. If, we, if we've made, if we're getting to the point where we're manufacturing these blades out of carbon fiber, carbon fiber can be broken down to make new carbon fiber to make new blades. It's like, it's like at a certain point, it's kind of like you take a blade down and you make a new blade. Right. <laughs> so it's like at a certain point, it almost becomes a self-sustaining system on its own, which I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. That's, that's the beauty of recycling. If we can perfect that means having to mine less materials from the planet because we can actually re break down and reuse and rebuild old stuff. That's mm -hmm. awesome. It's also obvious. I think that industries would want to be able to have a finite amount of material in the life cycle loop. They don't want to have to buy more or make more. They would love to be able to say, Oh, every year we only need to manufacture 10% of new materials because we can recycle 90% of this old stuff. It's a cost-saving measure. Yeah, I was going to say to drop costs. It's like, I've talked to the company American Manganese, which has a really interesting lithium-ion battery recycling plant that they've been testing out. And they've talked to me about how, how much it's going to be a closed-loop battery manufacturing system. So you make a battery, it dies, you put it through a recycling process, and the materials that come out that you can just immediately reuse to make new batteries the cost of those materials in the recycling process of doing that is dramatically cheaper than going and mining new material. So it's like companies are going to want to go down the recycling path because it's going to be, it's going to save them money. <laughs> right. So you can keep making these things again and again and again and do it at less cost because you're not having to pay exorbitant fees for digging to the earth and trying to get these minerals out of the ground. It's Which then of course benefits environmental impact. Uh -huh. Caused by mining and yep. that whole cycle. It's like the what is was the the circle of life? Do you want me to sing that? No. <laughs> okay. No, I would really <laughs> prefer that we not sing. <laughs> okay. You actually touch on something else in your video, which was the the concerns over taking things and putting them into landfill is yep. always the big boogeyman on the horizon mm -hmm. landfill is viewed as a non-starter um but i don't know, don't know if you noticed this that you actually have an elected member of maryland's general assembly in your comments i did not <laughs> kumar barv 
wrote, huh? Matt, I'm a member of the Maryland General Assembly and I'm a chairman of the Environment and Transportation Committee. I'm also a liberal Democrat. First, excellent video. I will say one thing, though. Landfilling is not as problematic as many environmentalists believe. As long as there are no chemicals that leach into groundwater supply, landfilling can be seen as a form of carbon sequestration. So I just thought that was an interesting yeah. political perspective because there is a reality that all of the programs that would look at recycling and reusing, those are so new. We can't simply say, oh, all these wind turbines, we'll just recycle those. Yes, that's not yeah. a reality. So there is this element to it as well. And the thing about landfilling that doesn't get talked about as much is that landfilling, if it is done properly, like uh, Mr. Barb says, if it's done properly and you aren't having things leak into groundwater and contaminate the environment, is a little bit like putting something into a holding cell that when your recycling projects get fully up to speed, you can actually go back and then mine that material and reclaim True. it. True. And that's actually being done in some places where there are efforts to reclaim landfilled aluminum and other metals that would have been in products that would have just been thrown away 50 years ago. Right. To go back and find that aluminum now because of aluminum shortages. And it's a it's effectively mining again materials that were just simply thrown out. So it is something to consider in the in the life cycle of these things. From my perspective, it's always been about you want to try to avoid putting something in the ground that is technically never going to break down because yeah. it'll be there forever. Um, that does not seem like a good solution. <laughs> mm -hmm. But if something is going to slowly break down and maybe kind of like not composting, but like, you know, slowly break down even over years or tens of years or even hundreds of years and it's not toxic, it's like, OK, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> just stick it in the ground and it will eventually kind of work its way out. And so that's that's fine. Which leads to the final point I wanted to talk about, which is wooden windmills. Yeah, <laughs> I like how we're going back. Let's go back 200 years yeah. ago. <laughs> it's like, you know who really had it together? The Dutch. That's right. Head of their time. That's right. <laughs> like we make our shoes out of wood. We make our windmills out of wood. As soon as you said that, I thought that's super cool. Yes, it is. It's it, the idea that we're just going to build these things out of that kind of material. And especially if you envision like large wooden structures, like some of the ones that you were talking about, the size of the structure is actually pretty incredible for it to be built out of wood. They're, if I understood the numbers you talked about in your video, they wouldn't be quite as large as the non-wooden ones, but Correct. they would still be pretty massive Ma structures. They would still be absolutely massive, but they're not as big, no. Right. The, somebody else had posted into the comments, I think it was, um, about this research that showed you can make wood stronger than steel. I don't know if you saw that. I did not. Um, they basically take uh, uh, wood and then they treat it with, I can't remember what the chemical was, and then they compress it. Mm. And the compression makes the, the wood plank actually stronger than steel. Just seeing that, I was like, oh my God. The fact that <laughs> even without that, they're building turbines that are made out of wood. And imagine that if they use something like that system, maybe they could build turbines that are... <laughs> as big or bigger right. than these fiberglass ones. 
my concern with that would be is the chemical doing something that would then yeah. be toxic. So yeah, that 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 would be the big question, yes. But it was yeah. it's still astounding that it's like this organic material that grows on its own could potentially be stronger than steel is that that felt like science fiction to me. <laughs> I just yeah, and I like the image of at some point, you know, a hundred years from now, a group of people coming into a, a wind farm and like, well, this is the this is the tower that needs to be decommissioned. All right, get Gary. He's got the axe, right? And <laughs> Gary just chops chops it down, and it falls over. And then they're like, "All right, we're done. Put in the new one." <laughs> he just let it rot, just let it slowly degrade, get eaten by worms, and turn into topsoil. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Imagine planting a tree that has been genetically modified that will actually grow into a turbine. <laughs> right. It's, it gets super tall and then its leaves come out and then suddenly a blade comes out and it starts spinning. <laughs> it's interesting to see how something so simple, it's a wind turbine. Mm -hmm. It's you know, effectively they've been around for centuries, uh, used to mill, used to generate you know, power for um milling of of grains and now being used to generate power to somewhere there is a flower plant that is grinding grain into flour and they'll be using wind turbine power again but the simplicity of that is rife with arguments for and against and i think your video does a really nice job of distilling that debate down into what are we really talking about so i think you're i just want to give you a tip of the hat for that thank you i was i was trying to make sure that this was a balanced view of the topic as best mm -hmm. i could and i think one of the things that's come out of our discussion and it's represented in the comments again i'm stunned by the informed audience that you have one person posted up i think it was five or six different links to different sources of information so it's this repository your your viewers are themselves a repository of information which is pretty astounding oh yeah well the whole idea for this video came from one of my patrons uh, rob vanderweil who's one of my producers um is very passionate about this and he lives in the netherlands and uh they're building massive wind farms that i talked about between that area and the uk and there's a lot of debate over those kind of things and so he was asking me to look into this and create a video on it if i could so this kind of was spawned from a viewer of the channel before we end this episode, as usual, I want to end with a couple of notes about things that we are watching and enjoying. And I will go first. I have two things to talk about really quickly. One is a new video game that I've recently purchased. And oh, I know which one this is. <laughs> I, am a, I am a big all or nothing person when it comes to consuming something. If I'm going to watch something, I'm going to watch all of it. If I'm going to play something, I'm going to play it for a long time. So me picking up a new game and trying something is not, I just never feel drawn to that. I'm like, oh, I've got my game. This is my game. But recently there was an announcement made about the game Ghost of Tsushima, which was that the game developers are going to be releasing a free add-on to the game, which is going to add a multiplayer component. And that was enough for me to say, like, this game is getting amazing reviews as a single player game, but to add on a multiplayer that sounded really cool mm -hmm. made me say, okay, I'm going to pick that up. I want to support a company that is producing a game in that way. It's also not going to ever have any microtransactions, which if our viewers or our listeners don't know what a microtransaction is, it's when you embed in a game 
more purchases that then feed more money to the company. And it, they become very smarmy when they are purchases that are required to actually make the game more playable or to yeah. advance you in the game as opposed to just cosmetic. Just cosmetic is still a little smarmy, but if you need to purchase an unlock to get past content, then you've got a company that is really gouging. And so for a company to say, we're not going to have microtransactions, we're adding on this thing for no cost to the players, this is considered part of the game for free. I was like, I want to support that company. So I picked up the game. I started playing it. It is an open world game where you play as a young samurai in Tsushima and it has been invaded by the Mongols. And it has skill trees and you learn new skills and you gain XP. But what I am finding is my favorite part of the game is just the wandering nature of it. You can literally go anywhere on this island and stumble into little mini stories. And the storytelling is beautifully thought out. No two are quite alike. They have different tones, everything from you are overwhelmed by an opposing force and fearful of what's going to happen to you to comedic, such as when I stumbled onto a storyline, which was there was a little farm where a man was posing as a samurai. And I immediately, my character immediately recognizes this guy's faking. And it resulted in a foot chase through the woods as this guy's running away from me saying, leave me alone. I didn't do anything. So it has some comedic moments. It's got some lighthearted moments. It's got the heavier moments. And the entire thing is the evolution of this man's viewpoint from what his uncle has raised him to understand as the honorable way of being a warrior to having to do whatever it takes to win. Right. And so it is a slow chipping away of a worldview into one of survivability. And it is the question of, do I stop being who I wish I can be if I can only get to that place by giving up who I am? Hmm. And it's an interesting it's an interesting long story in that fashion told in a non-sequential pattern by you being able to wander anywhere on the island and do different things. That kind of storyline is storytelling is really interesting because it allows you to in, inhabit the character. Yes. So it feel it's a non-linear storytelling, but because you're living and experiencing it, it feels natural and ingrained and it feels like it's an extension of you which mm -hmm. makes you really engrossed into what's happening, which and it, yeah, it's, it's really cool. And it does a, it does a lovely version of gameplay in flashback mm -hmm. so that as you follow parts of the main storyline, what they clearly have as the main story, which you can jump from main story mission to main story mission. You can do that and literally just play the core as you do those, you get flashbacks and then you play as a younger version of yourself where oh, you are cool. learning these lessons from your uncle yeah. and you are seeing the deeper history of your life. And it's in that way, it's, it's doing a masterful blend of storytelling between a through line with a cinematic feel to this open world experiential storytelling. And I haven't done it yet, but one of the modes that you can actually play this in is a black and white mode, oh, which, is, which is inspired by 
um, old Japanese yeah. cinema. Yeah. So you can actually play a you can play the game, and it has a sort of scratchy uh, sound to it with the music, and so you can actually play it with Japanese with Amer- English subtitles, or you can play it in English. So you can recreate the environment of a Japanese film, which I think like the seven samurai or something like that. I think that's really, really cool. I love that these massive top tier games are coming out that are really works of art like that last of us Two. I'd even mm-hmm. say horizon zero dawn. It's like, there's these games that come out. There's not a ton of them but when they do, man, they, they leave a mark. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. And the other thing I want to mention really quickly is a new HBO show, which is Lovecraft Country. I want to see this. I haven't watched and it. It is, it is based on a novel. Um, and one of the executive producers of this adaptation is Jordan Peele. Yeah. And <clears throat> the setup of the program is it's the 1940s and a number of black characters are trying to make a cross country trip and Jim Crow is still in full effect. Mm -hmm. And there are areas which are just forbidden. It's just places you don't go if you are a person of color. And one of the characters is the publisher of, I believe it was called the green book which is a historically true thing, which was a guidebook for black Americans to know where to go and where to avoid regarding safety. And so they are doing this trip partly as research for that book, but it is also the pursuit of one of the characters looking for his father who has sent him cryptic messages about where he might be. And as they travel, they cross into an area where Lovecraftian monsters live. And the Lovecraftian monsters, I don't know if you've listened, if you've ever read any of H.P. Lovecraft. Um, he was in the same vein as Edgar Allan Poe. It was monsters that were not really super well described. It was very often descriptions such as the door opened and then a creature of such nightmarish proportions walked through that I can't even put into words what happened. Right. And he was the progenitor of the Cthulhu mythology, which is often represented as multi-eyed, tentacled, just pastiches of, of creatures all mushed together in nightmarish ways. So this 1940s, storyline about race and the clan and danger in America to a, a huge portion of its population is mixed with this Lovecraftian horror as these people cross paths with these monsters. And mm-hmm. after just one episode, I'm already like, Oh, this is it. This is me. This is, this is, this is great. Um, I'm really the the production value, the the levels of acting that are going on. And the first episode, all told, monster wise, is ten minutes of monsters out of an hour long drama. And mm-hmm. 
I was perfectly fine with that because the story they are telling is so compelling and the acting is so good. Um, really just a, a really well done, um, story about the letting the relationships between these characters grow. So you really care about them. Right. As opposed to just throwing monsters at it. And so I give it a, a big thumbs up and I, yeah. and I'm looking forward to watching more of it. Yeah. That's on my to watch list. The only thing I watched this week, you actually talked about it last week was I've mm-hmm. been watching doom patrol, which I just want to say really quick. <laughs> I, I, I'm loving that show. <laughs> mm-hmm. It is so unique and weird, quirky, funny, touching at times. Uh, the acting is better than I was expecting. Uh, the villain is just delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. It's it's just a fun show. And if you enjoy superhero kind of stuff, but you're looking for something that is like you've never seen in that genre, uh, you definitely need to watch Doom Patrol. It does a good job of having the heroes looking yeah. around saying, I wish there was a hero here. Yes. <laughs> they don't want to be the heroes. <laughs> they do not think that they are up to the task and they do not want to be responsible for it. And yeah. it's one of the characters in it is um, similar to he he's, he was actually in Firefly, but I think the tone of the show reminds me at times of Firefly, which yeah. is that group yeah. of characters who, if everything else was, if things in their life got back to normal, they would not want to be around each other. No, no, exactly. But things are not normal. So they are forced into companionship and they're, they're rejects that yeah. are together because they're rejects. That's their, that's their commonality. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's really interesting. The storylines that are coming out of that. Yeah. So I, I also re, uh, endorse that show. Yeah. The, the other two quick things I wanted to bring up are not movies or TV shows, but two trailers that were dropped just within the past couple of days. Actually, I think yesterday. Uh, one for the new The Batman movie with Robert Patterson. And then the other one, which was for <laughs> the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Mm. <laughs> Going on this superhero path here. Um, I don't know if you've watched Justice League yet. I, I've seen it. And it's a hot mess. Mm-hmm. But there's glimmers of enjoyment out of it. But it's not a good movie. But if you're willing to turn off your brain, it's it's fine. It's fine. It's not horrendous. It's not great. It's just it's okay. The Snyder Cut. <laughs> I watched the trailer, and the problem I had with Justice League was the original the original cut was it had to, it was doing too much. It fell down the path of what a lot of superhero movies do where it's like we just don't have one villain. We have two or three villains and they're all doing their own thing that's coinciding and doing all this crazy stuff and then we don't just have one hero of the film. We have six heroes and we have to split our time between all these characters and it's like you're tr- it's it turns into kind of a hot mess you're trying to get into two two and a half hours of stuff and it's like they bite off more than they can chew. That was Justice League. This tra- <laughs> the trailer the stuff that they have you, have you seen it <laughs> i have not seen the original theatrical release i the know trailer? that they i have not seen the trailer i saw that it was posted but i have not watched it you gotta watch it i, I the this the clips they show they look spectacular i mean the visuals look spectacular but the problem i was having with it was it looks like five movies 
that they're showing because it was like, look at all this stuff with Flash. Oh my God, there's tons of stuff with Flash. Flash was barely in Justice League before. Wait, oh my God, look at all this stuff with Cyborg. Holy crap, <laughs> it looks like they're telling an entire story with Cyborg. What? Are you kidding? He wasn't even really in the first mo- in the movie. And it was like, wait, these scenes are all new with Wonder Woman. What the? What the? And then it was just like, they kept happening over and over again. The trailer is just jam-packed of everything you're seeing was not in the movie. Like, I think it's Dark Side, isn't mm-hmm. it? He what he what he was not in the original. <laughs> it's like it's like one of the problems with the original one is there was too many villains and too many like weird plot lines that were happening, and now that now we got Dark Side, it's like what what is what is happening is all I kept thinking as I'm watching this. It's like this is not a movie. What you are showing me is a TV show, right. and then on top of that, I went and I looked into it. The Snyder Cut is four hours long. Yeah, four freak. You didn't, this is not a cut of a movie. This is a second movie. You know right. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's like, what, what universe is this? The quote Snyder cut. This is not a cut. This is, you just gave up and just crammed everything in and didn't cut anything out. Uh, but the other thing that I th- do think is interesting is that uh, Zack Snyder in a press conference said that the, one of the ways that they're, adv- they want people to watch this is as a miniseries and that the movie on HBO Max is going to be broken up into four one-hour parts. Mm. And when I saw that, I was like, well, there's the TV show. Right. So it's like, because it feels like a TV show. And then he said, the heart and the through line of this entire movie is Cyborg. And I was just like, okay, now you got me interested to watch this because mm. he is basically a non-entity in the original in the cut. original, right. And so it's like, if you're saying he's the heart and the through line of the entire thing, it's like, this is a radically different retelling of that same movie. And now I'm fascinated to see what the hell is this quote? Snyder cut. Yeah. So it's, it's funny to me because it's like, this was, there's no way, this is, this was not the original intention of this movie, period. Yeah. There's no way this was the original intention. Of My the understanding is that they reshot yeah. a, a huge portion when they decided to move past Snyder's version of it. And that yep. they even did new special effects, which yep. is not typically done in a movie when they when they cut dramatically, mm-hmm. the special effects are too expensive. So they ended up spending a ton of money remaking a huge portion. But they did but the they movie. did that with this too. Yeah. They did that with this too. So there's there is brand new stuff that was never made for his quote original Snyder cut. So it's mm. like this is still not the original cut because I don't think what people understand is there was no original Snyder cut. Interesting. So it's like this edit of the, this film is completely new. This is not what he intended when he was still on the project. This is still an extension of what was originally intended. And then um, the Batman, I don't know if you saw that trailer. I did. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It looks so... It's dripping in just oozing darkness. and It's noir. It's oh just my, it full on so noir. I, and I'm hoping yeah. that they are going to do what has happened now with a handful of films, which is I'm hoping there's a black and white version of the film that gets released. Yeah, kind of like this. Uh, Logan had that. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road had that. Yes, and, yes. And like I just mentioned, Ghost of Tsushima, the video game I'm playing, it has the ability to do that. There is something about stark black and white that it adds something 
it's an it's a it's a tremendous experience to see a well done film in black and white and i think that that movie just looks like it's begging for it well, i was i was watching the trailer and i've purposely been avoiding any discussion about what this movie is about yeah and it at first i was like wait is this set in like the 1930s because it like the way people are dressed it's evocative of the cartoon it, ev- yeah. it evokes the like the the golden era of films like you know from the 30s and 40s the way they're dressed the way they're moving around and then suddenly there's like this car like a modern car that goes smashing into a light post i was like wait mm-hmm. wait what <laughs> so yeah. like, it looks like it's just just brimming with a unique just visual style and i'm hoping the storytelling matches the look because the look is really cool yeah i also for me you know the the biggest cinematic moment of batman for me was from the very first batman movie and you get that rooftop sequence where batman faces off against a guy and grabs him and is holding him over the edge of the building. And the guy says, what are you, man? He says, I'm the Batman. And I think it's very obvious that they intentionally recreated that with a modern twist in the new trailer where it's not just one guy, but it's a whole host of guys facing off against Batman. Yeah. And one of them says, what the hell are you supposed to be? And Batman doesn't just knock the guy out. He, he, beats, <laughs> he beats the crap out of him, even to the point of jumping on him when he's on the ground and smashing just to continue to smash. And then says, I'm vengeance. Yeah. And it's a different tone. It's a different, it's a different tone. It's a different Batman. So I'm he's really, scary. He's yeah. scary. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's a broken man. <laughs> he's a broken man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it shows. Yeah. Yeah. And the trailer does a good job of not really giving away who the nemesis is, but I get the impression that the nemesis is going to be the Riddler. It's it's all the characters before they become the quote characters. So it's Batman before Batman. It's the Riddler before Riddler. It's the Penguin before Penguin. So it's, I, I love that. It's like we're yeah. seeing all of these characters before they actually became the iconic characters. It's going to be neat. So let us know what you think about any of this. There are the windmills to talk about there are the movies and video games to talk about but we'd love to hear what you have to say about any of that you can reach out to us on twitter at still tbd fm or to me at by sean farrell or matt at matt farrell and at undecided mf please be sure to watch the latest videos from undecided with matt farrell on youtube and you can find the podcast at still tbd.fm you can also subscribe to the podcast through any of the major providers like iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Please be sure to give us a rating, a review, and share us with your friends. It really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew is Batman. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.